Our good word today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Now, Satan attacks our faith, and when he can attack our faith and ruin that, it will ruin our hope and our love. You know, faith, hope, and love go together. You can't separate these. Now abide faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. But the three of them go together. When you love somebody, you trust him. And when you trust someone, you have great hope for him. The reason a husband and a wife love each other and have a happy time together obeying the word of God is because this love produces faith. And love and faith produce hope. They always have something to look forward to. Now, this is true in the Christian life. We should trust our Heavenly Father. And because we love Him, we have no problem trusting Him. I have no problem trusting someone I love because I know that someone who loves me is not going to harm me. I've mentioned before, perhaps, in these studies, my good friend Dr. R.T. Ketchum, one of the greatest Bible preachers, I think, who ever lived, has a saying that has been a great blessing to many of us. He says, Your Heavenly Father loves you too much to harm you, and he is too wise to make a mistake. That's a good statement. I like that. Your heavenly Father loves you too much to harm you, and he is too wise to make a mistake. Now, the devil wants us to believe we can't trust the Lord. He attacks our faith. And beginning today, and perhaps for the next two or three studies, I want to talk with you on how Satan attacks our faith. If he can undermine your faith in God's word, he'll ruin your life. I've had people come to me and say, Preacher, I've tried to obey the Lord and things have fallen apart. They aren't going the way they ought to go. And I say, Well, how do you know they're not going the way they ought to go? Your father plans your life. Many times my own children say, Well, Daddy, you don't know what you're doing, but I know what I'm doing. They just have to trust me. Now, I may be speaking to some Christian right now, and things are going hard for you. Maybe you have physical affliction. Maybe there are family problems. Perhaps there, there are difficulties on the job or in your church, and you're wondering what to do. I'll tell you what to do. Obey the Word of God, trust the promises of God, and let God do the rest. Living by faith means obeying God's commandments and trusting God's promises in spite of of circumstances, and in spite of feelings. Now, people who go by feelings and circumstances look for shortcuts. They don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, or they don't want to have to pay the price. Shortcuts are always long cuts. There are no shortcuts in the Christian life. A friend of mine has a little slogan underneath the glass on his desk in his office, and the slogan says, Faith is living without scheming. That's tremendous. Faith is living without scheming. You know, when the Word of God tells us to do something, we should do it. We don't have to scheme about it. I think in churches there's far too much scheming because people don't live by faith and just have an open heart to the Word of God. There has to be politics and scheming and second-guessing and pacifying. I feel so sorry for nominating committees because they have a thankless job trying to get people to change jobs. And every once in a while, somebody gets embedded in a ministry, in a church, and you can't move them. They aren't doing a good job, but they're a fixture. They've been there for years. 
Instead of people just openly and lovingly saying, look, we've got to make some changes, they scheme and they plot and they plan. That's not faith. God can't bless a thing like that. Where there's faith, there's openness. Where there's faith, there's honesty and sincerity. Now, the devil is the liar. The devil believes in duplicity, not in simplicity. The devil's the two-timer. The devil's the masquerader. He's the pretender. Christians don't live like this. Jesus said, in secret have I done nothing. That's a good way for Christians to live. I don't want to be a part of anything that's secret. I want my life to be an open book. Somebody came to Charles Spurgeon one day and said, we would like to write your biography. He said, you may write my life in the clouds. I have nothing to hide. That's a great way to live. Now, Satan attacks your faith because he knows if he can undermine your faith, he's going to win the battle. Interestingly enough, in the Old Testament, Satan is seen at work only four times. I want to repeat that now. Satan is throughout the entire Bible, no question about that. But in the Old Testament, you're going to find four particular scenes where Satan is at work. Now, perhaps you want to make a list of these and study them. I don't know. The first is Genesis chapter 3, where Satan came to tempt Eve. The next is Job chapters 1 and 2, where he came to tempt Job. Then in 1 Chronicles 21, he tempted David. And in Zechariah chapter 3, we find him dealing with Joshua, the high priest. Let me repeat these. You may want to read them and study them in your leisure. In Genesis chapter 3, he attacks Eve. In Job 1 and 2, Job. In 1 Chronicles 21, David. And in Zechariah chapter 3, it takes place up in heaven, a vision up in heaven. Satan attacks Joshua, the high priest of the nation of Israel. Now, it's rather interesting that in each of these cases, Satan attacks a different part of their lives. I'll be repeating this over and over again because I want this to be clear to you. Far too many Christians do not understand how Satan works. And because they don't understand how Satan works, they don't know how to fight him. Satan attacks the mind, Satan attacks the body, and Satan attacks the will, and Satan attacks the heart. Satan attacked Eve's mind. And Satan attacked Job's body. And Satan attacked David's will. And Satan attacked Joshua's heart. I'll be explaining these week by week as we have our lessons. I want to begin now in Genesis chapter 3. So turn in your Bible, please, to Genesis chapter 3. This is a very familiar passage because this is where we have the fall of man. But I want you to notice the way the serpent works. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, of course this is Satan using the serpent, Yea, hath God said that ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And here we have, of course, the fall of man. Now, where did Satan go to work? Remember now, Eve and Adam have not sinned. There's nothing in them that is sinful. They're in a perfect surrounding. They have been prohibited by God from 
uh, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what was Satan's target? His target was Eve's mind. Keep your place in Genesis chapter 3 and turn to 2 Corinthians. You see, the, the New Testament helps to explain the Old Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. 2 Corinthians eleven three. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ, or the single-heartedness that is in Christ. He attacked the mind. Now, what did he do to her mind? Well, he tried to get her mind confused so that she would not believe the word of God. Now, Satan does this today. He likes to attack our minds. The way you think is the way you live. He wanted to make her ignorant of God's will by turning her away from God's word. Now, friend of mine, I don't know how you discover God's will for your life, but I discover God's will through God's word. I discover as I obey the word of God, as I do what God tells me to do, and as I don't do what God tells me not to do, he guides my life. And Satan tries to get Christians to be ignorant of the word of God. Now, please notice what he does. First of all, he does not come in his true nature. Satan didn't come to Eve as the horrible rebel against God that he is. He used the masquerade of the serpent. He always comes under the guise of something else. For example, when he wanted to tempt the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, he used Peter. When he tried to get the early church into trouble in Acts chapter 5, he used Ananias and Sapphira. Satan can use a husband, a wife, a preacher, a Sunday school teacher. He can use the lips, the mind of a Christian to lead somebody else astray. His purpose is to get us to turn away from the word of God and therefore not know the will of God. Now, let's notice how he does this. In verse 1 of Genesis 3, first he questions God's word. Yea, hath God said... Now, this is what the devil's doing today. We have seminaries where professors get up and say, well, does the Bible really say that? And we have some of these young preachers coming out of our seminaries who think it's smart to question the Bible. I'm so, I feel sorry for them. I don't know what they have to preach if they question the Bible. Satan begins with a question mark. Yea, hath God said. He questions God's word. And then he denies God's word. He says, oh, ye shall not surely die. And then he substitutes his own lie. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be open and ye shall be as gods. You'll remember that one of Satan's goals was to be as God. Isaiah chapter 14, I will be like the Most High. And Satan comes to man and he does three things with the Bible. Number one, he questions the Bible. Number two, he denies the Bible. And then number three, he substitutes his own lie. Now, you watch out for those people who question God's Word. These books that are being published by our denominational publishers these days, rethinking everything, you know, rethinking salvation and rethinking conversion and rethinking the rapture and so forth. Our job is not to judge the Bible. Our job is to let the Bible judge us. I'm a preacher of the Word. I've spent much of my life studying and teaching and preaching the Bible. And my job is not to sit down and say, well, what's right in the Bible and what's wrong in the Bible? My job is to let the Word of God judge me. And as it judges me, I am able to take the Word of God and help other people benefit from it. These commentaries that are out these days, these modernistic commentaries, 
It sickens me to read them. They take the word of God and they say, now Moses didn't say this, and Jonah didn't do that, and Jesus didn't mean this, and before you're through, you have no Bible left. Now Satan comes and he questions God's word. And if you'll start listening to his questions, I guarantee you'll have no faith left. You know, the great G. Campbell Morgan, one of my favorite Bible teachers, tells in his life how that at one time, early in his ministry, he began to have doubts about the Bible. This was back in Great Britain during that era when atheistic halls were being opened, free thinking, philosophy was rampant, and people were denying the Bible. And he read all these books, Can We Know God? And Can We Understand the Bible? And Is the Bible is God's Word? And he became thoroughly confused, and he lost his power as a preacher. He tells it this way. He said, One day... I took all of the books that I had read and put them into a cabinet, and I locked the door. He said, I can still hear the click of that lock. I went down the street to a bookstore, and I bought a new Bible. I got on my knees before God and said, Oh, God, if this is your word, you will reveal it to me. And he said, I began to read only the Bible. And he said, The Bible found me. And he spent the rest of his life teaching as one of the greatest expositors of the word that history has ever known. I recommend to you not books about the Bible, although these are good for us. I recommend that you just read the Bible and use these other books to help you study the Bible. But judge the books by the Bible, not the Bible by the books. Because the Word of God is true. And Satan comes along and tries to question the Word of God. And once he has questioned the Word, then he denies the Word. And then he substitutes his own lie, and we get into trouble. Now, the Lord willing, in our next lesson, we'll look at Genesis 3 further to see how Satan tries to undermine our faith in God's Word. Program is What's the Good Word? And my name is Warren Wearsby at the Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky. I trust that our study today has been a help and a blessing to you to establish you in your faith.